and welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Before we jump in, I just have a quick update. My new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. I've worked on it for two and a half years, and it's finally ready for you. I read about my many epic fails throughout my career and how I learned from them, so you don't have to. And I got deep on soft skills like communication, authenticity, my favorite chapter, by the way. This book is a full-on cheat code for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get that promotion, or being a first-time leader. If you're listening and you've already purchased, please rate and provide a review on Amazon. As always, thank you to our relatable community. I'm so grateful for your support and continued listenership. Now back to the show. Today, I talk with Doug Yule, who is the teacher and now retired basketball coach at Westfield High School. For nearly two decades, boys' basketball program stood under the stewardship of Doug Yule, a tenure that included back-to-back trips to the state championship game in 2015 and 2016, and the first state title in school history at the end of the 2016 season. Sports was an outlet for Doug growing up, and he aspired to be like one of his high school coaches who had such an impact on him. After being told he wasn't college material, he set his mind to prove that wrong. Doug talks about the challenges he faced to get where he is today, including learning disabilities and the passing of a close family member. He talks about what drives him and what has helped him to be successful as a teacher and a coach. And we can't let him off the hook without asking about why he retired and what it's like to be voted Teacher of the Year in 2021. You don't want to miss this conversation. Enjoy this episode. I'm so excited to talk with you. I feel like you have been on my list of someone to chat with for a really long time. And uh, as we mentioned before we started recording, that we have so many friends in common. And as I was talking about the podcast and what I'm trying to do with the podcast, so many people said, you have to talk to Coach Yule. You have to have a conversation with Coach Yule. He would be so good. So not to set you up too much, but I, um, I'm just excited that we finally have a chance to meet and connect. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I apologize. One of the things that one of my not good strong suits, I guess I would say, is communication and social media. I um, I, it's just not my my forte. Forte, I should say. I'm I'm trying. Yeah, no, I totally get. Can we start? Maybe talk to me a little bit about how you started coaching, and and we'll we'll kind of bounce around a little bit in terms of your career. But I would love to know how you what was your first coaching job is it something that you always knew you wanted to do maybe we could start there i'm I'm a chantilly high school graduate okay and i had a wonderful amazing basketball coach by the name of mark martino and his leadership and his ability to get kids to gather with each other and unify as a group and he challenged me in ways that that inspired me to get into this field. Mm. Um, I loved his motivation. I kind of inspired to be him. And so that was really how, that was in high school. And then I was really, really lucky. Coach Martino left Chantilly and started coaching. He became the varsity basketball coach at Lake Braddock Secondary School. And then I met my my second mentor, because I'd call Coach Martino my first mentor, and a guy's name, a name of Francis Dahl. And Francis, um, Coach Dahl, was just not a man of many words, but just an amazing leader. Mm. Um, I coached football with him for four years at Lake Braddock, and then he left and became the AD at Westfield, and he brought me along. Ah. And that you know, that growth of a friendship and relationship just really took my coaching to a next step. So like Coach Martino put the bug in me to be a teacher and a coach, mm-hmm. but Coach Dahl just took it to a whole different, different level. Did you, and so what sports did you play in high, like when you were in high school? I played football, basketball, and baseball in high school. Wow, three sport kid. Yeah, and basketball, 
was by far my worst sport. Oh, really? Oh my God, I was a bad, bad, bad <laughs> basketball player. I was a, I was a good defensive player, but I was yeah. an awful, awful basketball player. And I would tell you the first thing that I ever got from Coach Martino was he was a firm believer in if you're open, knock down a shot. And he always put belief in you, to, into you that you can make the shot. Mm. And so if you ever asked, if you interviewed any of my basketball players, they would tell you that I'd never told them not to take the shot. Uh, I want to inspire them to take the shot. Yeah. Not the other way around. Yeah. So. Were you a good student in high school? No. No. I was a very, I was, um, there's a lot of things that I should say got me to why I was a bad student. I, I had some learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. So I had some battles there. I um, would overcompensate for my lack of schooling or education by being a show off, being outlandish, show up late, talkative in class to compensate or to overshadow my inabilities Mm. to do schoolwork. Mm. There were some things there. I had some unfortunates in my life. So my when I was a sophomore in high school, my brother died in a car accident. And my brother was 11 years older than me, so he was more of a a father figure than mm-hmm. a brother. Mm-hmm. So I think when he passed away, my focus of schoolwork became less. Yeah. I always wonder if my brother was still living with my grades had been as bad as they were, mm-hmm. I would say. But that was definitely a uh, a stage in my life where things did not go as well for me. Yeah, and I suspect that that having those experiences helps you to be a great coach because you yourself, you know, it's easy to be a really high achieving academic and athlete, not easy, I shouldn't say, but people that have, you know, that take to the academia and they're good athletes and they seem to have like the whole package. I suspect that's maybe a little bit easier to coach than someone who is, you know, struggling or has more you know, more circumstances that they're dealing with. And so you having been through that, I, I suspect has made you more empathetic and would you say has made you a better coach? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that my story, my travel helps the kids that have struggles. Yeah. And it also, all I ever preach with my basketball team is make sure that you are sellable. Make sure that you, you know, don't, that they don't ask you, how's your grades and you, and you look down, you know, education has always been the forefront of everything with me. Now that I've graduated, you know, I'm the, yeah. I'm proud to say I'm the first person in my family to graduate college. Congratulations. You know, um, that that's a, a proud, proud point of mine. My mom and dad are amazing people. You know, my mom was pregnant at 16 to overcome all that she overcome to get where she got and my dad to, for them to stay married. And, you know, they were married for 53 years before my mom passed for them. to You know, they put a work ethic in me that translates to today. So it's, it's always been good. In terms of leaving high school, because you, you weren't necessarily had the highest GPA, mm-hmm. how did you find college and how did that, like, did were you someone, because of your experiences, did you think you'd go to college or was it, did you just, did well, you go to play? It was, yes. I, I played football in college. Okay. I had to go because of, there was a, something back in the day called Prop 48. And it was because of a GPA or your SAT scores weren't high enough. You had to go to junior college. Mm-hmm. And for me, my GPA wasn't high enough. So I had to go to junior college route. And so I went to a, a junior college for a year called Butler County Community College in El Dorado, Kansas, in the middle of nowhere. And that was to I play mean, a sport? That was to play football? Yes. Yeah. It was my it was my only way to continue to mm-hmm. play sports and try to get a degree. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for a year. And then I transferred to a, a Division II school called Newberry College in Newberry, South Carolina. Okay. And that was a good experience. It was fun. I enjoyed it. But I wasn't doing well with my academics. Mm. And it was, it, you know, it was, I would always do well the first semester. In the fall, I would do great. 
because we had study hall. We had all these things in place for you to be successful. But I knew that if you got a over a two nine in the fall, you didn't have to go to study hall in the spring. And I was a smart kid. And so I would make sure I got over two nine. And then the second semester, I would be really bad. Ah. I, would be, I would be like 1.0, 0.08. I was, it was disgusting. So I made the conscious decision to leave school, transfer to Mason and go to school to, to graduate, not to play sports, wow. to graduate. And so I did that and I graduated from George Mason and, and been coaching and teaching ever since. And what was your degree at Mason? Uh, I was a health fitness exercise science major okay. yeah. with a minor in history. And I, you know, I'm a PE teacher. I love that. And I'm so grateful that you kind of shared and what like that whole backstory because I feel like there's so many people that um, maybe aren't good students or ha like don't excel in the system in that way and feel like they don't have options or they feel like they can't they they can't push through that. And so what I'm interested in is what what drove you to to pursue the education and see it through when when you know it was it was it seems like it was self-motivated it's not like you had someone behind you pushing you um there were a couple things first i'm a very determined person ah so when someone tells me that i can't <laughs> i will uh-huh yeah and so um i'll never forget i was a senior in high school and my counselor met with my parents and i and we were meeting and she was just being honest and telling the truth. She's like, I'm not sure that Doug is capable of college level work. I hadn't shown that, that I right. was. So she was just being honest. She goes, I think a trade school, he loves cars, maybe being a mechanic or something is the right thing for him. And I stood up in that meeting and I said, ma'am, I'm going to graduate from college and I'll send you my diploma when I'm done. Wow. And that's what it is. And, that's what and as did. soon as I graduated, I mailed her my diploma to let her know that it was done. <laughs> wow. So in some ways it was a spark plug, like in that, in like, Absolutely. yeah. Complete yeah. motivation. And she didn't mean what she, she didn't say. She was just being honest. She didn't mean it to be negative. She didn't be, yeah. mean it to be rude. She was just trying to find avenues for me to be successful. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I love cars. I change my own oil. I do a lot of things on my car myself. Yeah. And so maybe I would have been successful in that as well. I don't know. And so how long have you coached? Um, well, I have been coaching. This is my 27th year teaching and I coached for 28 years. Wow. Wow. And we'll talk about that in a minute, just in terms of okay. like your progression there. But and what do you still you're still teaching? I'm still teaching. Yes, ma'am. I still teach at Westfield High School. This is year 22 here. I've been here since it opened. I love it. Wouldn't change it for and the And you're world. teaching PE? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And you just uh, won, was it last year you got Teacher of the Year? I heard that I, through the grapevine. Yeah, that was a, a, a complete shock to me. You know, I think that sometimes when you're in the teaching world, yeah. you know, and especially when you're in the elective world and the physical education world, you find different ways to make impacts with kids. Whereas when you're in the academic world and math, history, social studies, science, and those type of things, you don't get as much time because of SOLs and, and AP testing to really truly get to know kids. Yeah. Because you're so worried about teachers, it's become statistics. Yeah. And, and stats, whereas in the physical education world, you can bond with them and have conversations with them to make changes in their life. And I think that that helped me become teacher of the year. And that is a sign of respect to the kids in the building. I was very surprised, but happy to receive. I love that. Could you, in turn, and I think you just talked about it a little bit. I love that the relationship aspect. When I first started my career, my career has always been in uh, human resources. And when I first started, mm -hmm. I started out in re recruiting. I was a campus recruiter. So I'd go <laughs> on campus and interview kids. And I loved it. It was so much fun because I love being around that energy. And I loved being someone that was actually a gateway to an organization and being able to give kids opportunities. What I found for myself though, is like the relationship ended. So I would hire them, bring them in, and then they would be, you know, they would move on. And I found that for myself, I needed, I need a role within human resources where I actually 
continue to have a relationship with the employee. Like I, I'm all about that kind of holistic yeah. get to see the whole program. So I, I then moved into different roles where I could actually kind of serve and help support people in organizations where I was, I had more of a relationship. So it's interesting. You described your experience within the function of PE, which I love because I think that it makes a lot of sense that you get to have time to build that connection. I'm the first, I mean, I'm probably the first teacher in the building every day. And you're like, why? But I show up to school no later than 6.45 every morning. And at 7.45, I'm walking towards the front of the building to give fist bumps to every kid that walks in the building. Wow. And it's just a way to make connections with them. And I always tell them, when you give me a fist bump, that means I got your back. And when you give me a fist bump, that means you got my back. Mm -hmm. So it's my way of letting them know that I'm all in with them no matter what. So that little fist bump just is our way of saying, I got your back, you got mine. Would you say, this is probably kind of a silly question, but but it seems just like in terms of the role that you're in both, you know, as coach and even as a teacher, do you feel like that is like you're fulfilled and satisfied and you are absolutely in the right place? Like in terms of the intersection of loving what you do and being inspired by what you do. And it's also a lot of work, but it seems like it just based on what, how you're talking about it. I couldn't imagine myself doing something other than what I'm doing. I am in my happy place when I'm at work. Yeah. And it just makes my day. Yeah. Every day is different. Every, you know, a kid will come in and, you know, things may not be the best. And I, I can see a smile through a fist bump. I can see, you know, hot field hockey team won a game or they didn't. And you're just like, hey, man, good job last night. Get them next time. And yeah. just a support system. It's just awesome to see them break a smile, you know. Yeah. To have that it may not be the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. My husband's dad was a football coach at Mount Vernon okay. in the eighties. His name is Pat Freeman. And okay. um, he was also a history teacher. Um, and he passed away about eight years ago, seven years ago. And um, maybe longer. I'm horrible with years, but when he passed away, it was unbelievable. The outpouring of uh, support and people that showed up to be, at his funeral and I think the impact and legacy of coach and teacher or teachers and you know I just feel like uh it's such an important role and it and I know for my husband like seeing that it just is really almost it's very emotional to see that impact you don't always know it because you're in it and you're doing it every day but I know for him it was almost one of those moments of like man it made him question his own legacy and impact yeah. like seeing how he was how his that in the in all of the emails about how the his dad affected people in terms of how they learned and what they pursued. And it's just, it's so incredible. So a huge thank you for all that you're doing. And I think also from a, like how it's rewarding or feeling that impact, it's pretty, it's got to feel good. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, it, my mom died as, uh, seven years ago in 2015. And you don't realize how much support and that you have until at my mom's funeral. And I just turned around and looked at, all my students and wow. my Westfield High School family that was there supporting me, you know, because they knew my they knew of my mom, but they didn't know my mom. Right. So they're they're just there to support you, and that that makes me smile. Yeah. So tell let's talk about coaching a little bit in terms of. So I, I'd love to talk a bit about your philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, and then also in terms of this area and and how competitive it is and. You know, for people that are listening that want to play basketball in high school or that want to pursue a sport, you know, I, I think there's a lot to learn there. So let's talk talk first about your philosophy after doing it for so long and being successful. What are some of the, you know, critical success factors or, or how would you say your philosophy is with coaching that's had such a positive impact? Um. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. I think that my the first thing is we always, our word was 
the word focus, friendship, organization, commitment, unity, strength. Um, I stole that from uh, Coach Larry at when he was at Mason, and it just kind of always stuck with us. That was our, our, our thing, stay focused. I think that um, you learn more from failures than you do from successes, mm. and those that are willing to get back up will have the ultimate success. Those that make excuses are going to continue to make excuses. So I, I would tell you, especially for kids before they get into high school, there's going to be kids that make this travel team and get released from this travel team. I, I hate the word cut. So we, we, we use the word release. And so I think that you just got to follow your path. And then so many people get distracted by so many different things. Mm -hmm. And if you can stay focused, you will, you will have your success. I think that, you know, basketball is to me, the toughest sport to play yeah. in high school. And it's the toughest sport because we actually release kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, There's, and, yeah. Yeah. and when, in that releasing of kids, you might release a kid that might grow four inches the next year and get better. And, and so you have to take chances and it's hard. Whereas football, you know, they're going to, they're going to dress 85 kids every night and they're going to be, and, and if a kid doesn't play, he, he can grow within the program. Yeah. It's harder in the world of basketball. You have to be a little bit more selective, but that's one of the reasons why I kept bigger numbers. If I, I kept bigger numbers, hoping that the kids would grow or, or get better, or you could see them not grow and get better. And then you, you have another kid to replace that kid. Right. Right. Um, so if you really, I mean, my, it's just hard work. Yeah. You know, I was, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I'd be the first, if you want to get in the gym, I'm going to be here for you. If you want to get in the gym after school, I'll be here for you. So I was one of those that I don't know if my X's and O's was the best in the world. We were just going to outwork you and, and, and be more focused and unified as a group than the other teams. Yeah. Yeah. That's another question I have. Even you saying that you're the, you're the first one in the building and, and you, you know, you're the first one there in, in case someone wants the gym open. Tell me a little bit about your own. I always think this is interesting about people that are successful or like you have such commitment and you know, such focus on what you want to do. So what are some of your habits and rituals? Like, do you have things that you do every day when you're, when you're talking about trying to build that kind of discipline and these humans that are still that that frontal lobe is <laughs> yeah. it's still developing and you know you've got to do, work a lot of different angles here so i try to lead my lifestyle the same way that i want the kids to yeah yeah so my regiment for anyone who i wake up at 4 a.m every day wow no alarm clock no nothing and i'm usually running for three to four to five days a week at 6 a.m and if it's 20 degrees outside, I'm running. You know, that's just the way I live my life. I am, I'm just an all in type of guy. If yeah. you're all, I'm all in all the time. And so, so yeah, I'm a very kind of a regiment type of person. Yeah. You know? I think so, that discipline and it's it, the more I read, the more I learn about people that are, I think, not successful always, just successful in terms of, have that passion of, of work and fulfillment, you know, that people that get up early, I'm, mm -hmm. it's, there's this common thread that people that get up early and kind of get after it, uh, there seems to be a differentiator between, you know, those of us that sort of linger <laughs> and say, mm -hmm. I'm going to hit snooze one more time. I can't do the workout today. I'll do, get to that tomorrow. And I just find that I have more success in the morning. So yeah. when I, if rarely, do I not run in the morning or lift in the morning or something? But if I have to, and I have to do it in the afternoon, I just don't feel as good. And it's just not yeah. as, I don't have as much success. And so I'm like, well, why would I do that if I don't have success with, but it, I better rather do it in the morning. Yeah. You know? How do you balance um, in the throes of when you were coaching and you're in, I know it's a very demanding job in terms of it is like year round, like you're fully involved. There's a lot 
that goes into coaching and a lot of pressure. And how do you balance that against having a life outside of school or or like a balance that against your personal life, right? Like how do you, because I, I can see that being all consuming. Yeah, um, live close to work. That was the first <laughs> okay. thing. Okay, okay, um, that's good. I, I, I live like two and a half miles from work. Yeah. So that was the first thing and have a unbelievable supporting partner, my wife of 23 years is very, very supportive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that made it easier too. You know, you just have to, you have to sacrifice things. And I think that's things that kids struggle with today. Sometimes you just have to say no to other things yeah. for the more important thing. For, for the end game, you have to sometimes just say, I can't do that. I got to do this. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's hard, the trade-offs, right? In terms of, yes. yeah. And being able to, I think too, it's knowing how to choose those things. You know, that's kind of a skill you develop over time of knowing, you know, you got to say no to some things. Doesn't mean you have to say no to everything, but how do you pick and choose the yes. things so that you still have a life, but you know, you, you got your commitments too. Yes. And, that, and I'll be the first to tell you, I think that uh, I like to call this, this COVID situation has made it very difficult for kids, for teachers, for workers, because you got during that COVID time and you were at home and you, you relaxed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's taking kids a while to get back to their regiment. Yeah. You know, our weight room was closed for a year and a half because of COVID. And so these kids that are seniors, they missed out a year and a half of weight training. You know, they, these seniors missed out a year of sports you know they missed a season in each season yeah. during that time and so i think that three or four years from now you know i think that regiment will will come back some but i i think it it softened me because i, I wasn't in the gym i couldn't get in the gym yeah and i think that that was part of the reason why i stepped down yeah yeah i want to ask you that the other thing i want to ask you really quick was i should have asked it as a follow-up to your when you told me before that you weren't like you're a better football player than you were a basketball player. And it's interesting that you coach basketball. So did you want to ever coach football or do you feel that because, well, I won't lead the witness. I'm curious, how, how did you pick basketball to be your focus? If you would have asked me when I first started coaching, I would have th- told you I would have been a football coach. Mm-hmm. Um, coach Dahl was amazing. He taught me so much. He was just flat out amazing. The hard parts of it was managing, you know, you have at at that time, Lake Braddock had probably 200 kids in the program. Okay. You had, you know, probably a hundred on freshmen and you probably had a hundred on a JV university. That's 400 parents, no parts. I don't want any parts of anything that says 400 parents. (laughs) Um, I also found it that I loved. Sorry, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I loved my um my position group i I coached the quarterbacks and the running backs and that was eight to ten to twelve kids and you could have a really good quality relationship with them Mm. you know you have you know in football you probably have 10 to 12 coaches right and they get to have the great relationships and you as the head coach not so much because they always say the it coach makes the ultimate decisions Mm -hmm. whereas in basketball you keep 12 to 15 kids you got 30 parents on the varsity you run you have a program of about 45 to 50 and you're like wow that is so much more fun and i get to have really good relationships with the kids you know everything about them as the basketball coach i had individual meetings with my kids every two weeks So every two weeks, every other Saturday, we would have meetings after practice. And the meetings would be sometimes five minutes, sometimes 10 minutes. But it was it usually started off as how's mom and dad? How's your school? How's everything at home? You know, if there's a girlfriend, how's the girlfriend? This and that. And then we talked about basketball. You know, here's the things that you could do to help the basketball team get better. But it was, you know, you wouldn't have that capability with 100 kids in your program. Did you feel like you had to get smart on basketball, given like you were, or do you feel like you had, you know, is that something that you had to 
strengthen in terms of your own acumen or did you feel like because you played it and you know um no i was coaching when i was coaching at lake braddock i was a a assistant varsity coach and i was the head freshman coach of the basketball team got it okay and so i was coaching basketball the whole time and i was having coach martino my high school coach was the varsity coach i'm the freshman (laughs) coach and i had a buddy of mine named mike mcgurk i was an assistant for him for a while and we i was just soaking it all in yeah yeah and then when we left when i left lake braddock to come to westfield you know i had coach Dahl, my mentor he was mentoring me on just coaching i got a new mentor and a guy named bob mckeg who was the varsity basketball coach and i was you know just again soaking it all in and then i had three years of really successful jv basketball teams here at westfield and our varsity coach left and they're like doug you're the guy and that's how I became the varsity basketball coach. You know, that's one thing that um, I feel like that translates to the kind of corporate space of, I sometimes will ask people about being very goal-oriented about progression and ambition and the concept of being tapped versus pushing for mm-hmm. it. And there's a, I have a lot, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of professionals over the years around if you, if you are sort of centered in the work that you're doing and the delivery of what you're doing, the rest follows. Not to say you can't have goalposts that are dri- you're driving toward the goalpost of those things that you want need, but if you can't deliver and you can't be in the present and sort of focused on your immediate results, then that goalpost doesn't really matter. And it's interesting that the way you just described that, like you showed success and then you were tapped versus like, it sounds like just driving towards, I wanna be the head coach, I wanna be the head coach. Yeah. Yes, I, what you just said is 100% correct. I think that in today's world, yeah, the, I, like, I didn't become the varsity basketball coach at Westfield until I was 32. Mm-hmm. And today you got kids that are 26, 27. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I'm like, you ain't experienced anything yet. You got you to gotta grow. Yeah. And I think that today's generation wants it now, whereas I think that my generation was more like, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to mature. Then I'll start going after them. Right. And they, and and understand that the journey, like there is, it's maybe an overplayed word, but that the journey piece of it is so important. It's, it is the, how you cultivate yes. your, your character and your strength to be able to be an effective coach like you are. It's just like, you don't just get that overnight. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that great coaches, and I don't, I'm not putting myself in that great yeah. coaches realm. But I'm going to say, coaches can coach anything. Mm-hmm. I think that they. I, I think I could go out and coach football. I could coach tennis. I could. Co- I mean, I'd have to go learn about it, but I think I could go do it. And because of my dedication and my drive for whatever it is to be successful, that I would do okay. Yeah. And I think certain people just have that. How do you, so this was a question, and it may be hard for you to answer because it may be just how you are. I am super curious about coaches and leaders that have that ability to have high expectations, to be a driver of talent and positive outcomes, and have that relationship that is friendly and supportive. And, you know, I, I think I've seen, I mean, my, I have three boys that all play sports. So I've seen a lot of different coaches in my, in my day. And I've seen some coaches do this very well. And some coaches are just always yelling, right. Or they're completely mute or they're all about the fun. And, you know, it's like, it seems like there's such a balance of like having high expectations and a hard driver, but there's also this kind of support relationship element and how do, how do you do that so that you kind of get I, the outcome you want? I, I think that you build relationships to be able to yell or to be able to structure or to be tougher on. Mm-hmm. And you know the ones that you built relationships with that you can be tougher with. So, like, there's certain – you got to know your audience. Uh-huh. And you know the kids that can handle it and you know the kids that can't. But – you strive for them all to be the same, but reality of life is you don't know what someone else is dealing with. And I think that you build relationships to be able to instruct at any, at any call. So like my kids know that I'm all in with them, no matter what 
I, you know, here, if you decide to, to transfer, go somewhere else, I'm still going to be all in with you. Once you join the Westfield basketball program, I'm all in. You leave, that's okay. I'm still all in. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be there for you through thick and thin. We had a kid last week, one of my favorite basketball players. He called, and I was on my way coming home from somewhere. I don't even remember where I was coming from. On the way home, but he called, and he just needed to talk. And, you know, we had a conversation. He was he was angry at his, his college coach. He wanted he wanted to know why this and this. I'm like, hold on, slow down, freshman. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, take, let's, let's, let's take this step by step and figure yeah. this out. You know, yeah. he, you know, after the phone call, he texted me. He's like, thanks, coach, for, you know, for me, not allowing me to jump off the bridge and we'll go from there. Yeah. I think that perspective of, of well, one, just having somebody, you, a, a phone a friend that they can call you mm-hmm. and, the, and the relationship strength. And I think even you talking about meeting Saturdays, that investment in people, I think people respond. And again, I'd like to translate it to the business mm-hmm. world at least. If you invest in people, that comes back threefold. You know, if, if, if it's in service of their development and their growth, is it hard for you to, um, do you get really attached? Because, you know, there's a shelf life, right? And people are leaving you all the time. So how do yes. you, like, because you're such a relationship person, I can feel like that's got to be so tough saying goodbye. It's, it is. That's one of the hard parts. Like, even my basketball managers, you know, it's it's Thanksgiving week. And I have two of my former basketball managers have younger siblings, and I said to one today, I was like, if your sister doesn't call me over break, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> Again, last week, I had one of my former players. I, I woke up in the morning to a, a, on, my, on my phone a text message of a sonogram. Because oh. you know, there, there was a baby on the way. Yeah. And, those are the, and I said, man, you just made my day. Yeah. You know, and those are the things that just that make you smile and make you do what you do. Get up every day. So let's talk a little bit about your decision to step down because you're so well loved. You just got teacher of the year. You've had a huge program. Uh, tell me about that decision. Is it is it final or is it is it a break? You know, tell me a little bit about how that came to fruition and how hard of a decision is that? We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. It was, it was no decision. Any decision that you ever make is never easy, Yeah. but it's well thought out. And I think that you put the pluses and minuses, minuses together and you kind of go that route. It had been coming for a couple of years. I think COVID definitely pushed it forward. I think that during COVID when we couldn't work out and we couldn't do things, but I could go play golf. You know, there were things there that, Interesting. you know, I would start, yeah. There were other things that were getting my interest and my, uh, my son, my family, both my boys, their pursuit of, they both play basketball and baseball, but they were definitely more baseball kids. And I was spending a lot more time traveling with them and their baseball tournaments made me feel, I was like, how do I say this? I didn't, I wasn't missing basketball. Mm. So I, I, I would miss summer league games or we wouldn't have a workout in the spring. And I'm like, this is not good because if I'm not there, yeah. and if even my assistant coaches are taking care of it, but I'm not there. I'm one of those that I'm there for everything. Mm-hmm. And so I was missing summer league games to, to travel with my son Cliff, or I was missing a spring league game because I, or a spring league workout because I was traveling with my other son, Charlie. And then I was realizing that a little bit that I really wasn't missing it. And like, it was like, oh, we're going to stay an extra day, but I got a summer league game. It's okay. Whereas three years ago, I would have been like, no, we got to drive home tonight because we got a summer league game and I'm not missing. So the things that 
I didn't love as much, which was the spring and the summer, started to become bigger. That was difficult. But that was really the the thing that kind of told me that my time was coming. And how is it to be there and not coach? That's got to be so strange. Is it? I mean, I know it has. Would, is this this will be the first season you haven't coached? Yes, this is the first season. <laughs> um, this fall was very, very difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, again, I'm an early bird. So in the fall for me during bas- during the fall, it was a really big amp up for the season. Yeah. So we were in the gym three or four days a week in the morning. And to come in early still and not hear, not hear the balls dribbling or the lights on and getting shots up, it was weird. Mm-hmm. And I'll have to say my wife has been really supportive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I will say that that part was hard. You know, I'm, I, I realized that the kids still love me. I have a lot of talks with the guys that are still on the team. And we laugh and giggle about things. And it, I think it's, it's going well. Yeah. I'm, we'll talk about this in a minute, too. I'm, I'm a big soft skills enthusiast. My, my whole, I left corporate world to try to help impact young adults and help people develop soft skills. And one of the, I just finished this book, and I wrote a book about knowing when to leave. Because in a, in the role in human resources, I've been in many situations where I've had to coach people out of organizations and exit them, release them, as to use your terminology. <laughs> um, and I would say 50% of the time, people people know it's time to go for whatever reason. What Something's changed in their personal life. The job has changed such that they're not into it anymore. It's not their heart and soul. And yet they just wait for the organization to push and to and versus like owning that decision. It's a really hard thing to own. And it's hard to when you're comfortable and you've created success and, you know, to to like push yourself through that discomfort to say, is it time? Maybe and leave, leave them wanting more versus like having them push you out. And I don't I don't know anything really about your that part of your situation. But I think mm-hmm. just that decision of like still loving what you do but knowing maybe your heart's not as in it or things have shifted and changed. I think I applaud you for like being honest with yourself about that. Cause I think it's not always easy. I thank you for that. Um, I would tell you that there, I mean, there were other circumstances. Yeah. I have, I, I think I've, I've told you I have two sons, Cliff and Charlie. Yeah. And I know that I didn't want to do it too much longer. Mm-hmm. And my son Cliff was on the team as a junior last year. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just do it through Cliff. And then I was like, well, how unfair, how, that wouldn't be fair to Charlie. And Charlie's a sophomore now. I would have to go two more years to finish up with both of them. And it wasn't fair to do it with one and not do it with the other. So that was, I can't say that was definitely part of it. I also feel like kids were changing and I don't think I was willing to adapt to their changes. So the things that are important to today's kids are not important to me. So the social media, you know, you didn't tweet this out that this that Michael had 25 and eight rebounds and things like that. But those are those are individual things, not uh, team things. Yeah. And it ain't, if it's not team, it has nothing to do with me. And so I, I think that was a, another part of it, that the individualism that is starting to be very infectious in today's sports is it was a part of my, one of my reasons for getting out. Are your are your sons bitter that you've spent all this time coaching and now they're playing and you left? Like, um, is there? I think that I think they're pretty comfortable. My kids are first of all they're amazing kids, and I think that they completely understood where I was coming from and where I was where my track is. And I, and I told him, I was like, look, three years from now, you both are going to be in college and out of my house. And I got to be a better husband. I got to be a better wife. I mean, I got to be a better husband to my wife, excuse me. And I think there's things there that I have to be better at. I should say my wife and I, we have to be better at it because we've been ripping and running with you guys for the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And now it's just going to be us two. What are we going to do with ourselves? And so I think yeah. that was a, a part of it. Like, okay, this was a conscious decision of like, we have to be better, you know? And and I don't know. I mean, now you get to be a fan too, and you can go watch them play, and you don't have the added pressure of 
of having to run the whole thing. I, you know, can we talk a little bit about the parent side of things? Because I know you had mentioned before about the 400 parents and, you know, as a parent and as being, and and I don't know if you know, I interviewed Malachi at one point long ago. He was one of my early, early interviews. Oh, good stuff. He was a trip. And my oldest played one year of basketball in high school. We have a height sort of situation (laughs) here in the Freeman. So, um, but anyway, so he, he, you know, that's how I got to know Malachi. And, um, but we talked a little bit about parents then. And I mean, it's been a while. I think that was almost four years ago that I interviewed him. But I think in this area and, you know, managing that relationship in addition to just running the team and running all your responsibilities. And I guess the question I would ask you, if a parent's listening to this and they have kids on on sports teams, what is a, a helpful parent? Like what, what, what would you like in terms of that parent experience? Because I sometimes think we don't always know, you know, it's like you want to push for your kid, you want to advocate for your kid, but you're also like, you're the coach and you get a lot of mixed messaging around if, if some parents are like the squeaky wheel, does that get them more playing? You know, the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I know again, it's a delicate balance. There's maybe not like a one answer here that's super easy, but I guess, you know, just in terms of how you like to engage with parents or, you know, what is a good working relationship with parents as it relates to sports? Well, my parents have always been amazing. Yeah. Have we always, have we always agreed? No, we have not always agreed. But the Westfield parents have always been really, really good to me. Now, I ask them for nothing. So it's, I, I've always been very conscious of parents' time mm-hmm. and parents' commitment. And I tell the parents, now I live in a community where I teach and where I coach, which is difficult. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult because you see them all the time. So that was different. I would tell you that I tell the parents from the very beginning, my relationship is with the player, not with you. Mm -hmm. I want to build a great relationship with the kid, with the player, not you. Our individual meetings are every other week. You're more than welcome to join our meetings. Rarely do they. Mm -hmm. I would also remind them that Anytime that they wanted to have a meeting with me, their kid must attend mm. because everything I like that, that I, everything that I would say to you or to your kid, I would say it in front of you. I think there's a lot of times parents want to say some things that they wouldn't say in front of their kid to me. Mm. And so I think that was a huge one for me. Um, I don't think, I mean, again, the parents were awesome. I think that we all want our kids to have an amazing experience. And I was always very conscious of parents doing things because then it gave an outlet for another parent to complain about, well, that kid's only playing because his mom does team dinners. Right. So we didn't have team dinners. Our team dinners were paid by the Westfield basketball program. And we went to glory days every Monday. And and so it wasn't asking parents to, to make spaghetti dinners or do this and do that because there are some parents that are going to do things to think that it's going to help their kid make the team or play more. So I took that completely out of the, out of the, the, so it was never a part of it. Um, But again, you can't fault a parent for wanting the best experience for their kid. Yeah. And they're all willing to do it for their kid. And so are me. So what do we do? We have, we send them to this individual workout. We send them to that person, to that person. Well, those people, and I love trainers, but if the trainer never contacts the coach of the high school, I don't trust them because they should ask the coach at the high school, what do you think that Michael needs to help him perform better on your team? Mm -hmm. If they're just working with them on skills, that's great, but don't, it it becomes a problem sometimes. Yeah. So I, I tell, again, I would tell parents to meet with coaches and, and that would be the easiest way is an open line of communication is so much better than anything else. 
I, you know, I definitely have tried to always push my kid to talk to the coach before I'm involved in any way. So mm-hmm. I've really tried to stay out of it. I've tried to like really not be that person. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, especially now as they're developing their own communication skills. I think you're like many coaches. The co- a lot of coaches say, talk to me, not, you know, so it's almost like the kid has to manage the parent, <laughs> you 100%. know, as far as like managing, you know, their own relationship with you. I love that and I appreciate that. I think it's really helpful. I think, you know, that relationship aspect and also understanding that they, the kids themselves can drive that and, and it yeah. should be kind of about them and for them given what your role is there. The hardest part for kids is the multi-sport athlete because yeah. every coach wants their time and it, it's hard. And But I think that those kids have the hardest decisions because if they communicate with the coaches, the coaches understand. But if they don't communicate, then the coach is like, why weren't you at my workout? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so that becomes a problem. I, I would tell you that those kids that can manage the communication with multiple coaches are the ones that do really successful in the business world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually, so that's a great segue. So uh, one of the things I want to ask you, just, I have just a couple of questions left. One is around, I mentioned before about my passion for soft skills. And so I, I like to ask people that I interview, either in your role as a coach or a teacher, or I also think because of your vantage point, you see kids all day long in lots of different environments. But when you think about soft skills development, I, I'm a true believer that if you are technically competent at whatever you choose to do, you will not succeed unless you have soft skills that support and augment that strength. So whether it's, you know, and there's a whole long list of them, I think, in terms of what people find to be important. I'm curious for you in your role, and maybe when you think about your students and their development, what, what do you think are the like two critical soft skills that you believe people should be focused on developing? Communication is so huge. Yeah. Um, I think that probably is the most important thing. Yeah. Because where there's a lack of communication, there's a lack of trust and a lack of accountability. Yeah. And then the other thing is accountability. You know, being accountable is huge. And if you are accountable for yourself, because you can't be accountable for others until you are accountable for yourself. Yeah. So I think those two are really, really big. Agree. What do you think? I, mean, I hear accountability a lot. I do a lot of teaching at elementary school. Well, junior high, like middle school. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've worked on with the um, football team at Centerville. We've mm-hmm. done a couple of workshops up there. And um, when I talk to parents and coaches and other people that I, I'm going to work with, you know, they say this accountability issue <laughs> that, that students have a hard time. And I don't know if students for the, like, did we have accountability issues when we were young? Because again, you're not fully developed or mm-hmm. is, or has something shifted. But the idea of like, I own my success. I own my failure. I own when I'm, if I'm going to mm-hmm. be on time, you know, all of that. Wh- what do you think is, why is that such at risk? like the accountability side of it. Do you have a thought on that? I think that because there's so many, I think that today's kids have so many more distractions. Yeah. It makes it harder for them to be accountable. You know, Coach Shields and I are really, really close. He worked here for a long time and those type of things all the time. And it's hard because we all come from so many different backgrounds and there's so many different account like, some houses, parents make their kids accountable. Right. And so they're better at time management and being more accountable. And then there's houses where they don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so, and then where there's a lack of that, you expect a lack of the other. So I like, I just give you a prime example. Like me as a kid, my mom worked two jobs. My dad worked the night shift. So my dad worked 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. My mom, you know, after going to nursing school and doing everything else, after having a kid at 16, you know, for, she was a nurse or a dietitian. And, you know, we never rarely ate dinner together. Mm. So there was no, you know, time of eating and those type of things. But like my wife grew up in a house where at 530 dinner was on the table. So she under like that time management, like, 
I need to be home at 5.15 because dinner's going to be on the table at 5.30. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think those, even those little small things are so important. So like my kids understand that, you know, we don't get to have dinner every night together, but on those nights that we get that group text and say, hey, we're having dinner at this time, my kids know that whatever they had planned is now exited because we're having team That's family gonna, dinner. Yeah, yeah. And those little things can, you know, are schedulers. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the harder piece of it too, which I'm still learning even as I have older kids, but like it's still in, I mean, I have high schoolers and one a freshman mm-hmm. college, but just the idea of like, the consequence if you don't, you know, it's not just like that you start, there has to be some version of this is the expectation. And if you can't deliver on that, there is some version of a consequence because then it doesn't really stick. So for you, one of the other things I like to ask, and I'm so curious for you, uh, when you think back to young Doug and you think back to kind of your uh, maybe your kind of late teens, early 20s, and you think about your path to this point, and you could give yourself some counsel, some advice on, you know, to make the road a little bit easier or to navigate it in a way that um, kind of would help you out. What what would you tell him? What's something, oh what's some advice? The first thing I would say is education is so important. Mm-hmm. I think that my life, I'm so happy with where I'm at in life, but I think my my life would be totally different if I cared about education when I was in high school. I think my struggles would been would have been less. I think that I'm so happy and blessed where I'm at, but it could have been different. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have been just not as stressful. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have to worry about certain things that I, you know, I had to worry about that. I think that I, you know, there's things that I really wanted to do that I couldn't because I needed a job. I think like I, I, my kids are so much more better off than me because like I needed to graduate to get a job for insurance. Yeah. I needed to figure out how to pay bills. Whereas my kids, I'm going to encourage them, you know, when they graduate, go, go make sure you're doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Search that thing because there's only a job out there, you know, and yeah. I, I want them to have the experience of a lifetime and I want them to see things that I still haven't seen. You know, I, I, I've been out of the country one time in my life and that was my honeymoon to Aruba. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. so many things that I haven't been able to do that I'm trying to work hard to provide those things for my kids. Yeah. That's my ultimate goal. So I hope that, yes, young Doug, I think would have been better at school to make big Doug life a little easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one last thing, I know I said that was last, but um, any chance you'll go back to coaching or you're, you you think that you've kind of hung up that hat? I feel like while I have you here, we've got this community of people that are probably <laughs> very interested in this response. Like, how do you feel I, about that? I would never say never. Yeah. Don't be surprised if I'm somebody's assistant coach at a baseball or at football or golf team or I or even coaching basketball. I, I would never say never, but I am really happy with where yeah, I'm at. That's great. You know? Yeah. I just it's been such a pleasure to meet you. I hope I can um, see you in person and, and we can, you know, I'll give you a big hug. But I just uh this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate the time and, you know, really your openness and vulnerability. It's been really nice. So I thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing for people. Thank you, Doug, for coming on the show. I appreciate your vulnerability around the hardships you faced, and I'm inspired by your grit and determination to make a positive difference, despite all of the challenges you faced. I love your insight on the importance of knowing your audience and the value in understanding how you need to adjust your comments based on who you're addressing, and that communication is so huge, the most important thing. If there's a lack of communication, there's a lack of trust and accountability. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. 
A huge thank you to our Relatable community for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.